Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to the Strange Catholic Show. This week we have a very special guest. Deacon Andy will be joining us. Deacon Andy has been ordained for six years. He serves in many ministries, and he's here to share with us some insight into all of the things that he knows so much. I encourage you to go to shroudnm.com to learn even more about his his work that he's done to help us all learn to explore this beautiful mystery in the Shroud of Turin. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to please send your Holy Spirit and awaken within us the words you desire us to speak. We ask your blessing on this time. We thank Deacon Andy for this gift of his presence and the words that he will speak. We ask you to bless all of the work that we do, that you anoint it, that you bless it. Lord, we just ask your spirit to enliven within us the graces, the mercy, your love, so that we can share that with others. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Deacon Andy, because we're both deacons, I won't say Deacon Andy anymore because I introduced you. <laughs> uh, do you have any, do you want to give us just like a quick little, how did you feel that call to the diaconate? How did you know God was calling you to this special life of service in the diaconate? Well, actually, that's not really quick, but I'll make it as quick as possible. Because when I was a little boy, I would use Wonder Bread and iced tea, and I would say Mass. I thought about being a priest since I was a little boy. and uh, But uh, I would be a much better priest now after I've been married than I would ever be as a single man without having the experience of marriage. And when I uh, married my wife, we knew uh, we met online at Catholicity and uh, in a chat room, and there was a a Canadian woman named Sandy, and of course we were all on the phone, and they ganged up on me. They said, yeah, you should be a deacon, and Sandy said, oh, yeah, yeah, you should be a deacon, eh? You know, she was Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, you know, we've been married 22 years, so that was a long time ago. And uh, so, you know, at, uh, I'm much happier as a deacon, but I didn't realize it. My wife realized it. And then she told me, and then I knew how I felt. Isn't that the way it goes? <laughs> it is the way. I was going to say, isn't that the way it goes? Yes. Yeah. As, so any, could... as any good husband would know, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, yeah. dear. <laughs> so I, I went on a private retreat. Um, we have a couple of retreat centers here. And there was a bad snowstorm. I was going anyway. It was me, the retreat master. And, well, he wasn't really a retreat master. He just took care of the place. And a Mexican maintenance man who spoke no English. And so it was just the two of us. He was discerning his stuff. I was discerning my stuff. We would have meals together and talk. 
and uh, and that's how I decided. And when when I was done with the weekend, I wanted to bless things and preach. That's what came out of my weekend, my wow. own personal weekend. And uh, so the rest is history. Of course, in my first uh, in my first feedback, I told Lou, I told Deacon Lou, why don't you just fire me now and I'll have less work to do? And he laughed and he said, you're not getting out of it that easy. And at that point, I decided I would just be a good deacon. So I just try to be the best deacon I can be. Beautiful. Oh, thanks be to God for that, for your your yes, your willingness to serve. And so thank you. Let's tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and what you're involved with your ministries. I think that'll lead us into what, you know, what you're all about, you know. Now I'm saying what now I'm saying, you know, after everything, I'm just I'm done. I'm stopped. <laughs> I can't edit all that out, Bob. <laughs> so you, so you can take the boy out of Minnesota, but you can't take Minnesota out of the boy. That's for sure. That's right. That's a there's a deep theological meaning there because you can't you can't you can't take Egypt out of the the people of God, even though you can get them out of Egypt. Mm, I like Same that idea. Yes, that's Amen. right. Ed. And so what I do in my ministry, um, I do a lot of teaching. So. We, uh, I love the early fathers of the church. We're doing a study on Romans now. And what we're doing is reading through Romans, but we're also listening to talks from a deacon conference that they did in Steubenville many years ago. And so Scott Hahn and, and Frank Petrie and, uh, and uh, John Bergsma, my fav- one of my favorite theologians. He's one of my favorites because he draws and you know tells jokes. He's, he's pretty funny and yes. awesomely knowledgeable. And so we listen to a talk after we do a study for the next chapters for next week. So we're doing the Roman study. Next thing we'll do is, uh, I think the History Channel made a 10-part 10, 10 series on the Bible. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to read the scriptures before we get there, and then we're going to watch the 40-minute video, and then we're going to see if anybody can discern what's different between what they read and what they saw. Whether yeah. it's inaccuracies or when you know the series is actually quite good, or if there's things that they left out because you just can't fit everything into 40 minutes, right? And, uh, that will hopefully help help the learning process. What we're going to do after that, um, I've been looking for a book um, on Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, some of the early saints, and I was I was listening to Mike Aquilina and they opened it up for for. Uh, for questions, and I said, well, you know, I'm looking for a book about Ignatius of Antioch with a modern translation with a commentary, and he pointed me to uh, a Catholic scholar who did one, and so we'll use that so mm. that they can learn about the early fathers, they can learn about a couple of particular fathers, and they can see how Catholic they were oh, yeah. in, you know, the, the first century, yeah. the first and, and early second century. And so those are those are some of the things we we do. I've I've done many many things. You know, we used we did a study on the Book of Hebrews several years ago, and we used a book that I found online, an author from Missouri, um, and he he demonstrated seven main teachings of the Church in the Book of Hebrews. Mm. So it was a fascinating study. So we did Hebrews, but we also used this book as an aid. And so it kind of gave them a bridge. So, you know, because if you talk about Bible study, usually Catholics go, well, that's nice. You do it by yourself, you know. 
<laughs> when you have a Bible study, you say, what did you think, guys? And there's complete silence. Well, after okay. we've done these over the years, um, people are starting to get that you have to read the scripture and interact with it and think about the scripture to understand it. And so those are some of the things, some of the kinds of things that I do. And of course, I do baptism preparation and, and other things. I do a lot of baptisms in the parish. Yeah, I especially like the History Channel, you know, you know, reading the readings beforehand, going, viewing, and then, you know, praying with and discerning, okay, well, what did we not hear? What was left out? What was different from what we read in sacred scripture? So I, I think that's such a unique approach. Um, yeah, we thought that would be fun. And I yeah. didn't think of that. Uh, my good friend Dave um, thought of that. And Kudos he had to the Dave. Series. Hopefully so he, he subscribes. gave the series to me and I watched the whole thing. You know, he always wants me to preview it, but he has, he's, uh, he's more knowledgeable than some deacons I know. He's a, sure a Jesuit-trained guy. I'm sure guy. I would apply the historical critical method to any of those types of readings. <laughs> you could do that. No, I couldn't. But I what I will, will say is, along those same lines, you know, the wonderful thing about our training is at St. John's University was we did have those classes where they really started to tear that apart and look at, you know, the analysis from that perspective as, you know, what was Isaiah trying to say? What was Ezekiel trying to say? Because I just took a class last fall in the Old Testament. So those types of things. Agree or disagree, right? Phil and I disagree sometimes on, on these things, but um, it's it, it, getting to the point that, that you're bringing up is it's not that simple, right? You just don't read it and go, well, obviously, obviously that's what that is. It's just not that cut and dry. There's a lot. Of course to it. Not. We have uh, several hundreds of years of, of examples of that, the bad part of that, you know, in the Protestant, you know, uh, deformation, as I call it, you know, where, where they just keep breaking apart and, everything's so clear and it means this except that there's a thousand other churches that say no it doesn't mean that it means this and everybody has their own take on it and nobody listens to peter where it says no prophecy is a personal interpretation they skip over that part because that just you know doesn't work so you know at uh, that's i try to 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 get my my people to know that um don't be afraid of reading scripture and thinking. And then when you have your own ideas, don't attach yourself to your ideas. Get your ideas and bring them in the light of truth and in the light of the group. And let's all try your ideas and see what, what's true and what's not. And we'll do it together. And we'll listen to the church because the church is the authoritative teacher, not the deacon, the church. The deacon is just a representative, but that doesn't mean I have all scriptural knowledge and and all that nonsense what you None don't oh no sorry <laughs> and i'm not i'm not ashamed to say that because it's true you know yeah. i'd rather have the true than the imaginary the true yes. lasts the imaginary doesn't amen thanks be to god amen to that so Andy, what would you say has been for you out of these studies that you've done with groups, the greatest revel revelation for you personally? My greatest revelation, not just with the studies, but being a deacon 
is the ministry of prayer. That's the greatest revelation that, you know, there was no preparation for. There's no class on that. They don't even mention it. But, you know, in order to learn the people's names at the parish, um, there was one, one guy who's in a wheelchair. His name's David. And I didn't know his name. And so his father announced, you know, David's having some problems. You know, please pray for him. So I started praying for David. And I knew his name. And I started praying for the altar servers. And I started praying for the, the people who were very involved in the church that I saw a lot. And from that, in the morning, in morning prayer, I probably have five or ten minutes of a list of people that I pray for, you know, that I can remember. And then everybody else, you know, I ask individuals or families, okay, now I need to learn your name and put you on my prayer list. And as I get to know these people, my prayer list gets uh, unwieldy and long, but it's it's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. If I take an extra five minutes to pray for the people in the parish by name, I think that's a very successful diaconal ministry. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah, you have the a, same experience. Um, I do, I do, absolutely. Um, it, you know, prayer for me has has been very fruitful in maybe just a slightly different way in the fact that uh, it's really uh, calmed me and opened my heart, uh, changed me both internally and externally. Yeah, I think it has the same effect on me and probably on all of us. Absolutely. Whether you're a deacon or not, prayer prayer changes us. We don't change yeah. God. He changes us. Amen. Amen yeah. to that. Thanks be to God. Otherwise, I would be unwieldy. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, your collegiate background when I read your bio, uh, going to the Baptist University. Did did you oh. have a lot of... A lot of what was that for you? What like for you and what a lot of Baptist influence there and how did you react with that? How was that for you? Here's an interesting, you've touched on a very interesting story because I was born and raised Catholic and I wasn't catechized and I left the church when I was 20 because he said that the church was the horror of revelation and that sounded pretty bad. I didn't even know what it meant, but it sounded pretty bad. And one thing that I learned from my Catholic upbringing was that I had to have a consistency in my life, what I believed and what I did. And so so I had to leave. And when I came back, you know, I, they, they alienated me against Catholics. So I was mad at Catholics. And then when I came back to the church, then I was mad at Protestants, which was anybody who carried a Bible. So ironically, when I got to the, the Wayland Baptist, they had the best deal. It was on, it was on Hickam at, in Hawaii on the base. And they had a, they had a, um, office on the base and an office in town and they accepted all my credits they accepted everything and i had to take two religious classes the new testament and old testament the new testament i don't remember at all i don't even remember going to class i know i went but i don't remember it the old testament class on the contrary i remember the guy's name dr john brandenburg who knew all the dialects of pigeon knew latin hebrew aramaic Greek. He was a fascinating teacher. And the final was 10 questions in multiple parts. It was an essay. It was this big essay. And I really enjoyed that class. I, I loved it. So 
Wayland was actually a good experience for me because what it helped me to understand is that Protestants, some there are some Protestants who are very good Christians, you know, arguably better than some Catholics I know. So that for me, that was my experience. I love Hickam. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. I was there seven years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, All I had my way. I had my heaven on earth. Uh, now I don't know. New Mexico I like too. So I'm yeah. not really a place where I don't like. So I'm I'm quite happy. I'm smiling most of the time. Can you expand a little bit on your work with the shroud exhibit? Well, um, my good friend Pete Schumacher, who when I met him, he wasn't a deacon and I wasn't a deacon. He's the production engineer for the VP8 image analyzer. And what the VP8 does is it gives you that green screen of the shroud that looks 3D. Mm -hmm. But what the VP8 does, it doesn't do it doesn't do 3D. It makes brightness maps. It's one of the things it does. And when you make a brightness map of the shroud, it comes out 3D in proportion. So oh. the nose ramps up. You know, everything is in the right proportion as you would expect if you saw a real person. That's what the VP8 does in the brightness map when you process an image of the shroud. And they do it on the face because the face is the most distinct. You can see it the clearest. Yeah. Um, and so, so you know, he brought me to his little office. He showed me the, the 3D of the shroud. He didn't tell me what it was. And he said, I want to make a museum of the shroud. And... I'd like to have a website, but I don't know how to do that. And I understand you can do that. So that's how I got involved in it. I knew nothing about the Shroud. All I knew was that Pete wanted a website. So we went to Schlossky's and had lunch. That's that's our that's our thing. We have to, no matter what we do, we have to be eating. And I I drew on a piece of paper, and that piece of paper is on the on the website. And from that time before I was thinking about being a deacon, I had time to go to the museum all the time. So I would go there and I would listen and I would read books and I would learn. And over time, Pete's health wasn't as good as it was, so he had to retire. And he had he had asked me to be on the board shortly before that. I think it was part of his evil plan to get me in. And uh, <laughs> no one else would be the president, so they, somebody voted for me. And I'm only doing it because no one else will do it. So I'm the okay. president of the museum by default. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it's a it's a great museum. It's in an old building. It doesn't look great yet. We need a we need a rich benefactor to help us or we need to crowdsource or crowdfund or do something. We need to right. get some money to fix the old building because it's a hundred year old building. It's uh, it's really quite old. You know, when Secundo Pio was taking the photograph the negative photograph in 1898, Alamogordo, this town was being founded. That's the timeline. And so, uh, you know, wow. uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, the building we're in was actually the hotel and across the street was the bar. So they go to the bar and eat and drink and then they go to the hotel and sleep and then they build the road, railroad. And that's where our museum is. So it's a little Alamogordo history. Beautiful. And congratulations on being president. Uh, thank you. I'm not sure whether that's congratulatory or not, but uh, I'm just trying to not mess up too much. <laughs> there you go. I love it. And so I another ironic thing about the Shroud is that when they formed the Sturt team to go in 1978 to examine the Shroud, 
a couple years before that, they they put a team together and they met in the Hilton in Albuquerque. And the greatest number of participants on this team were from New Mexico, which is mm. ironic since New Mexico is one of the least populous states of all those that that participated. So it's it's really wow. ironic that we have so much connection in this state to study at the Shroud. And I knew about some California connections, but I did not know about New Mexico. That's very cool. Yeah, Barry Schwartz. Yes. Documenting photographer, among others. Yeah, we have all that information on the website. If you look at our uh, Shroud presentation, we have a, over 180 slides of all kinds of information. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I love it. Yeah, thank you. It's good stuff. You know, uh, what's amazing to me personally about the Shroud is when I would go in the museum and I'd look at the image, and what happened to me was that I wanted virtue. This mm. isn't. This isn't a natural thing. This is a supernatural thing. That's what happened to me. And it happens to almost every shroud researcher. And if you open your heart before the shroud, God will change you. It's really quite amazing. I didn't know that. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can tell you about Barry Schwartz, Pete Schumacher. Anyone who studied the shroud who believes it's authentic has had a conversion experience in studying it and sitting before it. Wow. That's really uh, quite something. Yes. And you're all welcome to come down anytime you want to visit. Just let me know. And we'll <laughs> all arrange right, the shindig. Yeah. Right in July. Taking the show on the row. Maybe September would be better. Yeah, a little got, hot here. Got in, some stuff in, to close on. A yeah, little hot here in, in uh, the summer. The winter is much more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nicer. Yeah. yeah, I've been to Fort Bliss many times, uh, White Sands, Missile Range. So I'm familiar with the, some of that area around Las Cruces mm -hmm. and so, so on. But haven't got up towards uh, Santa Fe or Al Albuquerque, so hoping to do that at some point. Yeah, they're beautiful places. That's what everybody says. Yeah, we have, we have some people that come to Alamogordo to see the International Space Hall of Fame, White Sands, and our museum, you know, which is really quite amazing, considering yeah, we're a little, little shoestring operation that has no steady stores of income, only, only donations. Well, I did have, I do have one last question. So in your bio, I'm looking at your bio, one thing that stands out to me, what is deliverance ministry? Share with uh, me about that. Deliverance ministry is helping people to come back to God. Really, that's what it is. I mean, people get into all kinds of things. In this in this state, they have Santeria and other other, you know, weird practices which are, you know, bordering on the satanic. They're not good things. And so this helps to bring them. So one of the things I do is called reclamation ministry, where I meet with whoever is wanting to come back into the church to regularize their spiritual lives. And we have a meeting with, uh, usually it's my deacon buddy who works with the, with the diocesan exorcist, and he'll come and do a, a, you know, a little prayer thing, you know, just to see what we're dealing with, you know. And the time that we did that, there was no reaction, you know, because demons are terrified of crucifixes and holy objects, holy water, and they'll retract from it. 
and but my one experience there was no retraction it wasn't like you know wasn't like the exorcist movie or something yeah right. it was uh you know no one's head was gone. spinning around or anything like that yeah oh no none of that you know get a quarter and spin it because that's the only thing that was spinning in the room um but yeah so and so i met with a with a woman with a, another christian woman a good friend of mine um to help her to go through the catechism to help her to go through really we went through the creed to help her to to reconnect with her catholic roots because she was a catholic who fell away got into bad practices and then she came back and so that's that's part of what that is praise god so this deliverance awesome. ministry is it done with dueling banjos no there's no no banjos at all no dueling Oh, I always got to slip that movie reference in there, don't That's you? Correct. Lots of prayer. Lots of prayer. I'm sure. Okay, now that Terry got his question out, Andy, what kind of questions do you have for us? Well, I was wondering, are you in the diaconate, Bob? He's in formation, yes. yeah. You're in so formation. I'm in formation. We uh -huh. started formation together. Uh -huh. Way back when, probably 2015 or so, 2016, somewhere in there, and uh, went to class together at St. John's University. So St. Cloud Diocese, their program is we do formation at uh, a university mm -hmm. and get uh, basically do a master's program. About 2018, I deployed yeah. to the Middle East, came back in 2019. And came out here to DC, and now I work at. Still do take classes, as I said, I took the Old Testament class last fall, and there's a class I'll be taking this fall. So I'm pretty close to being done. I just need some field education after this fall. We're trying to work that out, and then eventually I'll be eligible to be ordained. So that's where I'm at. Wonderful. I'm just curious. It's the only reason I'm on here. They wouldn't have helped me otherwise. Yep, so then you can hobnob with the deacons and become one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, we don't. We sure as heck don't have him on here for his good looks. That's for sure. Trying to be part oh, of the club. Thank you for clarifying there. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So, so, do you have other questions for me? Since so, what did you do in the Air Force? Uh, I was in logistics and I did computers. And are you still working with the Air Force now, or just a professor? Yes. Or? Yeah, I'm. I'm on year forty-one. I'm a civilian. Okay, so you're actual like a army uh, or an air force civilian, yes, on a GS yeah, scale, I, something like that. I, okay. I'm not just like one; I actually am one. Okay. Yeah, so I retired from the air force and then I got a job um, oh, with okay. the air force as a civilian. So oh, yeah, this is dipping. okay. Uh, I'm working on year 41 here with the military. Okay. What do you teach at the local uh, university? Uh, I teach uh, some, some computer classes. I haven't okay. taught in a while. That the enrollment is really down. You know, I don't, the first class I taught, there was 26 people. It was a full class. It was an introduction to computers. And it started with, this is the power button. This is how you turn it on. These wow. are all the connectors. This is all the, the peripherals. This is everything. This is how it works. You know, don't worry. Don't be afraid of it. If you can break it, I could probably fix it. And uh, that's what it started with. I've done computer maintenance. My computer maintenance class was probably one of the most fun ones I did because what I did, they gave me a lab of old Windows set, old Windows XP machines. This was many years ago. And so what we would do is we'd talk about drivers. We'd find out how to research, 
how to find drivers, what a driver is, what it does. And then their, their final was they had to take the computer apart and then they had to tell me, they had to tell the class what the part was, what it was for, put it back together. And if the windows started up, then they passed. And if they didn't start up, then they got to try as many times as they wanted. Sometimes XP wouldn't start up. So that's a good one. At least they yeah. get to retry. <laughs> well, you know, um, every single student who went through, their computer started up. Oh, wow. So either they that's were remarkable. really smart or I did something good. Either way, <laughs> it was a good combination. I love it. I love it. Uh, XP sometimes can be tricky. Yes. Yeah. Well, we were at our reason, we're in Reason 13. So we were at the Reason 13 conference. And we were just all, you know, somewhere talking. And came up purgatory and I said, you know, I did a class on purgatory and half the deacon said, I don't even know how to explain that. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is, you know, um, and I kind of tilted my head like a puppy. And, oh. You know, I didn't really understand because it's not really that complicated, but purgatory is enlightened by indulgences and understanding of sin. So those three kind of go together. They're like the three amigos. I like that, though. The three amigos. That's right. Way to get a New Mexico flair on that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, one in a row. I did something good. I don't have any more questions from me. I mean, I, you're a tremendously in, interesting individual that's doing wonderful work in the church. We're very appreciative uh, for everything that you're doing. Yeah, it's my there. pleasure. Well, as I tell my parishioners, if I do anything wrong, that's my fault. If I do anything right, that's Mary's fault. I love it. Love it. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I didn't tell you about my diaconate. I think I told Phil this story. But when I was in the cathedral, uh, we were preparing to be ordained. Actually, it was coming up in about 30 minutes. And I was sitting in the cathedral, and I was looking at the statue of Mary up there, painted by one of the ladies in one of the parishes that I was deacon for for a while. And I was given the grace to realize that I couldn't be a good deacon without help. And so I told Mary, I said, I don't have the diaconate yet, but this is yours. This is not mine. So anything that you want me to do, you just let me know and I'll do it. And that's, if I'm a good deacon, I tell my parishioners all the time, if I'm a good deacon, it's Mary's fault. If I'm a bad deacon, it's mine. So... If, if I do something good, thank Mary. If I do something bad, tell me about it so I can fix it. Love it. And I love your uh, succinct homilies that you post online on LinkedIn. So thank you for that as well. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. There are some people that do well reading. There are other people do well hearing. You know, so the more the more senses you engage, the better for the learning. Totally agree. I do a lot better listening than I do reading. That's for sure. I'm definitely an auditory learner. Interesting. I, I learn by seeing, by reading, and by hearing. I have all of them, so I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. That's, I usually am reading four or five books at a time, and they're not little ones. They're, they're the big ones, you know, the big ones that half the people don't understand what the words are, and if I don't understand, I just look them up. I don't worry about that. I, I learn a lot from that. There was a book uh, by John Collins on the diaconia, and it had a, it had a, in the back, it had all the Greek letters, you know, which is mm-hmm. nice because I have been learning a little Greek over time, and so that just helped me learn more because I keep forgetting some of those letters. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, wait, which one is this? 
So I, then I have to rifle through the book and find the word. It's like, oh, there it is. And maybe one day God will help this old this old brain retain some of the information that, uh, that I tried to soak up. I think you've soaked up a lot more than many people. Well, I'm working on it. I, I read constantly. My experience leaving and returning to the church is probably the impetus for that. And so mm. what I try to do is I look for the, the best author on a subject, and I read that one. Mm. And then if there's, if there's other best authors, I'll read those too. And I just do it by my area of interest, but I'm interested in so many things that, you know, eventually I'll learn everything. I just won't remember it. I just won't remember it. Yeah, I, I read a lot, but I don't retain it nearly as well yeah. as other people. So that's why I listen as well. So I'll read and then I'll also listen to see how much of that will stick in my gray matter sometimes sure. than others. <laughs> what you could do is you could record the books and then listen to them. If you can stand the sound of your own voice. Yeah, it would be fine. Yeah, I, I didn't think about reading out loud, but yeah, usually you can find or I can even listen to like a computerized voice of a PDF or something, which I've done before for a lot of encyclicals. Just listen to the, sure. you know, semi-computerized voice, just reading the encyclical, which I found to be beneficial than just yeah. reading it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, one thing I'm weird I did, like that probably. Another, another thing I did at my church in Cloudcroft that it's up in the mountains at 9,000 feet. What I did was I did a presentation on, the main doctrines of Mary. But what I did was I took the encyclical and I boiled it down to one page. And then oh, I, wow. I gave them a summary, a short summary of it. And so I was able to give them some of the arguments. They didn't need all the arguments. They just needed right. to hear what's the tenor of the arguments that the Pope made in favor of this teaching or that teaching. Yeah. And so that that's a fun thing to do too. I'm a, I'm a reorganizer. When I went... Before I started my uh, diaconate training, I already had a master's in religious education. And what I did in the master's program is I would take the material and then I would rewrite it and put it into an outline. And then we were supposed to summarize it. So I, I said, well, I did an outline. And so I said, oh, good, let's hear it. And I went through the whole thing. I covered everything, five minutes maybe. And uh, next week, Let's hear Andy's outline. <laughs> yeah, wow. so I, I reorganize information and I, I think about the relationship between different data and then I try to put them back together, you know, which helps me to understand the, the, the information better. Oh, and sure. I find, I find that's real easy. So when I write my homilies, it's a bullet format and I always print it out and I, you know, sometimes use it, sometimes not. What I'm trying to do is keep myself on point so I don't go off into Scott Hahn's tangent land, you know, because he never met yes. a tangent he didn't didn't take. Right. And I try my best not to go off into tangents. It really does keep people's attention. What is the what is the main reason you're doing the podcast? <laughs> That's a great question. I would summarize the main reason we're doing the podcast because. We had such great conversations when we were in formation that we thought, hey, others could benefit from hearing this conversation and that will help them to also have conversations on these similar topics as well. Bob, yeah, Bob's okay with that. <laughs> He's laughing. I take that as a good sign. Yeah, That's Andy. about as enthused as he can get. 
Yeah, we, I can't, I'll tell uh, Andy, I'm very, very appreciative that you were able to join us for the podcast, that we could get the right time whittled down there. So yeah, I want to be thank respectful you of your time. And I know we, we probably went over a little bit, but I thank you Just sincerely. Yeah, we might have gone a little bit over. <laughs> uh, it's but it's good pleasure. that we it had was, a good conversation. Yes. It was, it was really quite enjoyable. Thank you. Thank well, we you. appreciate your time. Thank you so much and all, all the great things that you're doing. God bless you. Yeah, God thank bless you. you all in thank your you. ministries and in your formation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Well, let's take a short break and we'll be right back with the Saint Spotlight. Stay with us. And we're back and it's time for the Saint Spotlight with the always wonderful Terry. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate that warm and generous introduction. So our Saint Spotlight this week shines on Saint Unipero Sarah. His feast day is July the 1st. He is the patron saint of vocations and California missions. Miguel Jose Sarah was born on November 4th, 1713 in the village of Petra on the island of Melroca in the Balearic islands off the Mediterranean coast of Spain. His father, Antonio Nadal Serra, and his mother, Margarita Rosa Ferrer, were married in 1707. Unipero Serra was baptized the same day at St. Peter's Church and was given the name Miguel Jose. By the age of seven, Miguel was working in the fields with his parents, helping cultivate wheat and beans and tending the cattle. But he showed a special interest in visiting the local Franciscan friary at the church of San Bernardino within a block of the Sarah family. He attended primary school of the Franciscans and studied the usual reading, writing, and mathematics along with Latin, religion, and liturgical song, especially Gregorian chant. Gifted with a good voice, he eagerly took to music. The friars sometimes let him join the community choir and sing at special church feasts. Miguel and his father, Antonio, often visited the friary for friendly chats with the Franciscans. At 15 years old, he was taken by his parents to Palma to be placed in charge of a cathedral canon, and he began to assist at classes in philosophy held in the Franciscan Monastery of San Francisco. On September 14, 1730, on September 14, 1730, some two months before his 17th birthday, Sarah was admitted as a novice at the Convento de Jesus outside the walls of Palma and made his profession on September the 15th the following year. He chose the name of Unipero in memory of the brother companion of St. Francis. He studied philosophy and theology at the Convento the date of his ordination to the priesthood is not known, though it is prob it probably occurred during the Ember Days of December 1738. Sarah obtained his doctorate in theology in 1742 from the Lulian University of Palma. He was called as a 
chair of theology at the same university as a primary professor in January 1749 to uh, till he became an Indian missionary in America. On September 13, 1749, along with his good friend Francisco Palou, Sarah sailed for America. He landed in Veracruz, Mexico, on December the 7th, 1749, although horses were supplied for the friars. Father Sarah elected to walk the 250 miles between Veracruz and Mexico City. On the way, his left leg became infected by an insect bite and would remain across, sometimes even life-threatening, for the rest of his life. They reached San Fernando College on January 1st, 1750, spending the previous night at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In six months, an urgent call came for volunteers for the Sierra Gorda missions. Father Serra was among the volunteers. During his apostolate with the uh, Pame Indians between 1750 and 1758, he not only oversaw the construction of a new church, which is still in use, by the way, but he developed his mission in both religious and economic directions. Under his presidency of the missions in 1751 to 1754, the missionaries of other four towns also built mission churches. When the Jesuits were expelled from New Spain in 1767, he was sent, rather, to be the head missionary taking over the former Jesuit missions in Baja, California. The very next year, the Spanish government decided to move the frontier northward from Baja to Upper California or Alta California. Father Serra enthusiastically volunteered for that, and he accompanied the expedition that went from Baja to Alta California. He spent the remaining 15 years of his life as the president of the Alta California Missions. When Spain began its occupation of Alta California, Father Serra joined the expedition's commander. On July 16, 1769, he founded Mission San Diego within the present state of California. From 1770 to 1782, he founded eight more California missions. These are Carmel, his headquarters, at Monterey in 1770, San Antonio and San Gabriel near Los Angeles in 1771, San Luis Obispo in 1772, San Francisco, which is named Mission Dolores, and San Juan Capistrano in 1776, Santa Clara in 1777, and San, San Buenaventura, in 1782. Father Sarah's missions helped strengthen Spain's control of California. He made the long trip to Mexico City to settle great differences with the military commander, and sometimes he even arrived at the point of death. 
The outcome was substantially what he sought, the famous regulation protecting the Indians and the missions. It was the basis for the first significant legislation, a Bill of Rights for Native Americans. During the remaining years of his life, Unipero once more visited the missions from San Diego to San Francisco, traveling more than 600 miles in the process to confirm all who had been baptized. He suffered intensely from his crippled leg and from his chest, yet he would use no remedies. He confirmed about 5,309 people who, with but a few exceptions, were California Indians converted during the 14 years from 1770. On August 28, 1784, at the age of 70, Unipero Sarah died at the Mission San Carlos Borromeo from tuberculosis. He, was he is buried there under the sanctuary. Father Sarah was beatified by Pope John Paul II on the 25th of September, 1988, and Pope Francis canonized him on September 23rd, 2015, during a Mass in Washington, D.C., the Pope's first visit to the United States as the pontiff. St. Eudipero, Sarah, pray for us. Pray for pray us. Pray for us. Thank you, Terry for getting through that. Um, hey folks, it's time once again for you to speak to us. Leave us your comments, your prayer requests, anything you want to tell us. You can leave that on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on. By the way, I should just mention, rate us on the podcast platform as well. You know, don't put us into purgatory. I mean, you know, indulge yourself by rating us as a five, please, on the podcast, on any podcast platform. It's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all of them out there. We're all over the place. We're all over the, all over the universe. Leave us the comment, rate us, and, you know, share it with a friend or, or a family member. So leave those comments there. There's another place that's probably better for you to leave them, which is? StrangeCatholicsPod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash StrangeCatholics. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is in That's the right. show notes. Which I still don't have in my script. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And let's do closing prayer real quick here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious and glorious God. Thank you. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity today for for being present with you and and my brothers and our wonderful guest Andy just just thank you so much for bringing him here today bringing deacon Andy and all the wonderful things that he discussed in the wonderful uh ministries that he's involved in so as as we go forward today you know just please watch over the whole world but there's some specific intentions we'd like you to uh, hold up for us, please. Please protect life from conception to natural death. 
all marriages, please watch over and help all marriages. You are the glue between or that keeps marriages together. All, all couples that are discerning becoming married, all struggling marriages, anything that has to do with marriage, please be there for those people. All that are ill, all that are ill from COVID or any other disease, their family members, their friends, the, the care workers, please, please watch over them, give them comfort, give them strength. So we ask all these intentions through your name, Lord. We, we ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you so much, everyone, for joining us for this special broadcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.